This is the View from the Couch podcast, and I'm your host, Pierce Wiesnar. On the program today, I will be reviewing Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man holds a rare place in the hearts of fans. The character continues to find a way to connect with a global audience in a manner that few characters do. Ever since the start of the comic book movie craze started around 20 years ago, what franchises are still putting out films? All of the original X-Men are gone, and after X-Men Apocalypse, I'd say that the new class are in detention. The Fantastic Four were rebooted to horrendous results, and this is the third take on the Spider-Man character in 15 years. The appetite for Spider-Man films is almost unmatched within the genre, with only Batman being really comparable. Spider-Man is a legacy character, and one that has a very unique set of baggage. We've seen the highs and lows with the web-slinger on the big screen. From the first two Sam Raimi films being among the very best comic book films ever, to not just Spider-Man 3, but the two lackluster, amazing Spider-Man films. This iconic character has a bizarre set of films. It would be silly of me to not review Homecoming and not first talk about the legal battle between Sony and Marvel over the rights to the character. Back in 2014, Sony was in a bit of a pickle after The Amazing Spider-Man 2 left them with an angry fan base that had turned their back on the franchise. The prospects of seeing a third and fourth Amazing Spider-Man film planned to come out during the summers of 2016 and 2018 respectively seemed bleak from the outside. All of this was happening while Sony was trying to create their own cinematic universe around Spider-Man. We all know of the now scrapped Sinister Six and Venom movie, plus there were some rumblings of a Spider-Man 2099 film as well. For all the flack that Sony gets and much of it is deserved, you have to give them some credit here. They were planning on putting a lot of money into their premiere property, which is something that most fans want to see from the studios that have the rights to their favorite characters. Would any of it actually worked? Well, we'll never truly know, but when looking at their past track record, I don't think so. The poor reviews of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, its underperforming time at the box office, and the Sony hack led the studio back to the negotiating table with Disney and Marvel. Sony had a great product in Spider-Man, but ran it into the ground. Unable to make their Spider-Man cinematic universe a reality, Sony reached a new deal with Marvel, which led to Spider-Man's inclusion in Civil War, Homecoming, and the two Infinity War movies. It should be noted that Sony will finance, distribute, and have final creative control over the character under this deal. The announced Venom solo movie that has Tom Hardy as its star is not a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Once again, it looks like Sony will be going alone on that one and hoping to not repeat its past mistakes when trying to create a Spider-Man Cinematic Universe. I wonder what will happen to the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man when the current deal with Marvel is up. Will he continue to stay in the MCU under a future new deal? And what will the terms for that deal potentially look like? Or will he come back to Sony and join a Spider-Man cinematic universe with Venom? The answer to that question will hopefully be answered soon. So you can see some of the action that preceded Homecoming. A lot of headlines that dominate the day for all the wrong reasons. The last two films did a little to inspire a new generation of Spider-Man fans and featured a battle between lawyers and not superheroes. I wanted to see if Homecoming could find a way to give a new take on a character on his third franchise 
stand out among the 15 previous Marvel films, as well as the countless other comic book movies, and just at the end of the day, be a good movie. Director John Watts, with only two films to his name, does the job that everyone but a few key people at Marvel thought was too big for him. Spider-Man Homecoming is terrific and gives Baby Driver a run for the title of being the best movie this summer. The film makes you forget about the long and difficult road that got us here as you walk out of the theater remembering a film that is among the very best of the year. I started the show talking about some of the cultural baggage surrounding the film. And after five previous Spider-Man films, what makes the web slinger in Homecoming different from the rest? By aging down Peter Parker to being a sophomore in high school, he is dealing with a different set of issues. He's not riding around town delivering pizzas and working at the Daily Bugle, or showing up late for his high school graduation. Instead, he's a teenager dealing with the stresses of class, homework, bullies, girls, and just trying to find his place in the world. Those aren't a unique set of issues. It's something that just about everyone has dealt with growing up or is currently dealing with. It's a part of what makes Spider-Man such a beloved figure in the comics as well on the big screen. While it's fun to be taken across the world with the Avengers and into space with the Guardians, Spider-Man is a ground level hero. And what this does is help the audience feel more engaged with the film because whether or not you live in Queens, it's easier to relate to Spider-Man than the God of Thunder. What separates Marvel from just about everybody else is their laser-like focus on character. In the case of Spider-Man, this wasn't as cut and dried like their previous films due to the history that the audience has with the character. We first meet this new Peter Parker in Civil War, and Homecoming has to circle back to that film before it can go forward with its own story. We first meet Spider-Man in a video diary where Parker walks the audience through the lead-up and events of Civil War. Think about that for a second, and think about the endless ways that idea could turn out horribly wrong. The jokes could land flat, the audience could get confused because we're going to a different film at the start of this one, and the audience could simply find the whole premise stupid and instantly reject this version of Spider-Man. But none of that happens here. Instead, from the moment the orchestra plays the Spider-Man theme and Tom Holland links together Civil War and Homecoming, you're all in on Holland as Spider-Man. Fans get a quick snippet of who Peter Parker is as well as who Spider-Man is, all in the space of a few minutes. So much of the film is writing on that one scene, and it all comes together to build a bridge from the screen to the audience, assuring them that the past decade of Spider-Man movies are in the past, and that the future looks very bright for this character once again. In a cinematic universe where all the films are connected, it's never an easy job to link them together. Most of the time, it's done in a pretty ham-fisted way, like the email at the end of Dawn of Justice. In almost every instance, it's jarring because it feels so disconnected from the rest of the film and the execution is downright terrible. After numerous attempts, Marvel finally got that part right because in Homecoming, the links never made it difficult to suspend my disbelief. Homecoming goes all the way back to the Avengers and the aftermath of the Battle of New York. Instead of using that connective tissue to preview a future film, Homecoming gives the audience the best Marvel villain in quite some time. Unlike past comic book villains, the Vulture isn't plotting world domination or being evil for evil's sake. Instead, the Vulture is purposefully kept small time. It wouldn't work if your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man was fighting a foe that had global aspirations. 
you have to place them both on equal ground so that their battle makes sense. And in Homecoming, the vulture is just trying to put food on the table for his family. I'm not sure if enough people caught this, but it's quite brilliant. The vulture, the bird, eats scraps, and the vulture in this film is working with the scraps from the Battle of New York. Michael Keaton is a literal vulture in Homecoming. I just wanted to point that out because I was shocked at how genius it was. The script features a few things that are mentioned early on and are later brought up again. This does a few things. First, it creates a sense of excitement by hyping things up that are discussed. Also, nothing is coming out of left field or feels out of place. Instead, the ideas, twists, and turns that the film takes the audience on aren't surprising in the wrong way because Homecoming does its homework when it comes to crafting a story. And when you have someone as talented as Michael Keaton in your film, it would be a shame to waste it on a one-dimensional character. Instead of having a villain with typical nefarious plans, we spend a long time with Toombs the Man instead of the Vulture. This fleshes out his character and allows the audience to understand his motivations and see his path from being a junker to a guy with an alien-powered flying suit. In order to do that, Homecoming has to spend precious minutes with our villain and not our hero. The film is able to do that by using the previously mentioned film history with Spider-Man to its advantage. At this point, Spider-Man is pretty well known, and while certain things are different with a Tom Holland Spider-Man, some things remain the same. So we don't have to spend every frame with Spider-Man, and Homecoming is able to devote time to fleshing out the Vulture. All of that time isn't wasted as Keaton creates a character that is the answer to Marvel's villain problem. Holland perfectly shows the struggle of balancing life as a superhero and life as a sophomore in high school. While it's not a new part of any superhero film, here it's done in a way that makes the struggle feel more real. Peter Parker is such an everyman and Spider-Man is such a beloved figure that his inner turmoil becomes our inner turmoil as well. There are a few moments in the film where Holland contorts his face in a way to really show the pain of being a superhero. And Holland is revealing that the struggle is real. Just because you beat the bad guy doesn't always mean you get the girl. Spider-Man Homecoming is the best Marvel movie in years with a star-making performance from Tom Holland. He just becomes not only Peter Parker, but also Spider-Man. Kind of like how Gal Gadot became Wonder Woman in that film, Holland does the same here. The action is always fun and exciting as Watts puts Spider-Man in new battles to overcome. The Vulture gives our hero a different threat than we've ever seen in a Spider-Man film before. The comedy in the film, which has become a hallmark in these Marvel films, works incredibly well here. In the past, I have criticized Marvel films for always trying to be funny and just cram in laughs at every waking moment. In Homecoming, the comedy makes sense due to the setting, age of the cast, and the characters in the movie. After about a decade of hype, and wondering what if Marvel got the Spider-Man rights, the expectations for this film were through the roof. And rarely do films like this ever live up to our expectations. For me, Spider-Man Homecoming surpassed my expectations to become one of the better comic book movies. If I had to give the film a grade, I would give it an A. If you like the show and want some more episodes, just subscribe for more. And don't forget to rate the show and to share the episode. This has been another episode of the View from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening.